That clip comes from a new movie that uh, just opened up this weekend. I don't endorse that movie because <laughs> I don't know what they're going to actually do in it. And the way they normally do these things, you know, they are so fascinated by the story of Jesus, and yet when they get a hold of it, they'd like to change things. But it'd still be fun uh, to see and to watch what they're going to do. I wanted to bring it up because today the topic is the Son of God. And uh, this is the name of the movie, Jesus the Son of God. Two years into Jesus' ministry, he and the disciples were passing through a region that's called Caesarea Philippi. There's actually a city there. And uh, this was an ancient Roman city located at the southwestern tip of Mount Hermon, one of the largest mountains in the whole area. And uh, the ruins of this city are still there in what is called modern-day uh, Syria. The city was built on the top of a huge rock. Uh, you'll see a picture of it here. And, and it's 100 feet high, about 500 feet wide. Next slide. <laughs> and uh, this city was built up at the top. At the base of it was a temple. And it was built to the god, the Greek god, Pan. The whole area was called Panion. And the whole area was dedicated to him. You could see this from miles and miles around. Had the great uh, military vantage point there. And uh, a, a great thing for the uh, Greeks and then the Romans. In the time of the Roman Empire, King Philip wanted to honor his lord, which was Caesar. Caesar had declared himself God. And so he enlarged and improved this city. He renamed it Caesarea Philippi. He got Caesar's name in it. He got his own name in it. That's the way these kings are. And since the Romans considered Caesar God, the city and the region were now dedicated to two false gods, to Pan and to Caesar. It seems that Jesus and his disciples went there deliberately. Seems like he went up there, not, not for any other reason, but because he wanted to make a point. And as they approached the city, they saw this wall of rock that was a place where they had carved these little niches. You'll see these carved right into the rock, and they would place in there statues of Pan or statues of Caesar. And it would cause people to kind of like it be a shrine where they would venerate, where they would worship this false god. And perhaps, don't know, the Bible doesn't say this very clearly, but it says they went to Caesarea Philippi, and while they were there, Jesus asked a question. He asked this question, who do people say that the Son of Man is? That is, what are people saying about me? <laughs> what do they think? Who do they think that I am? And against the backdrop then of this pagan worship of mighty men and of gods, false gods, Jesus asked what kinds of things people were saying. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us about this same event in Jesus' ministry. We're going to read it from Matthew 16 this morning, starting with verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Who is 
Jesus of Nazareth. Many people were making judgments about who they thought Jesus was. The Gospels say among the crowds there was widespread whispering about him. Some said he's a good man. Others said no, he deceives people. Some said, how did this man get such great learning without being taught? And others said, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Others said, have the authorities really concluded that he's the Messiah? But somebody else said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? Some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. He's the Messiah, someone else said. And so the people were very divided over Jesus. Later on, Jesus' enemies asked him, Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? That sounds like a question we might ask of somebody today. If they seem to be exalting themselves or making exclusive claims about themselves, for someone to say, Who do you think you are anyway? And they are offended by his claims and by the things he has said. Well, Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew that he was the Christ. He knew that he was the Son of God. And so when Peter said it, he says, this is from heaven. Man didn't tell you this. You've got the truth here. But the question was, did everyone else know who Jesus was? Do we know who Jesus is today? Now, Jesus had been proving himself to his disciples over and over again from the very beginning of their friendship. They had seen many evidences that showed he was no ordinary man. Remember last week, we talked about that. There's this extraordinary, unique individual that did miracles and did teachings with authority that no one else had, had ever done. And they, they marveled to be around Jesus. In his gospel, the apostle John emphasizes Jesus' divinity. So that's the gospel to turn to. And we ask this question, is he in fact the son of God? He wrote his gospel to show to anyone who reads it that Jesus is the son of God. He says that. And so from the very beginning, this emphasis begins, as John says, the word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. Jesus is lifted up as that word who is God. At the very end of the, of the gospel, almost at the 20th chapter, Jesus appears to his disciples. Thomas is not there. He appears again, and Thomas has made these statements, you know, unless I see the nail prints in his hand, unless I see where they pierced his side, I'm not going to believe. And Jesus appeared, and he shows him his hands. He shows him his side. And Thomas falls on, his, on the ground, and he says, my Lord and my God. John is making this very clear all the way through. The key word in the Gospel of John is the word believe. John's agenda was to help people believe that Jesus is the Son of God. John is known for the seven signs, the seven miracles that Jesus performed to show his divinity, changing water into wine at the wedding in Cana, healing the royal official's son in Capernaum, healing the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda, feeding the 5,000 beside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus walking on the water, healing the man who was born blind, raising Lazarus, from the dead after being in the tomb for four days. All of these were signs that Jesus didn't have to play by the rules everyone else did, that he was God and he could change nature itself if he needed to. He who had created those things could also circumvent the principles by which everyone else had to live. There's another powerful sign of Jesus that John mentions, and it's Jesus' own resurrection. It is the capstone of the signs. It is Jesus raising himself from the dead, and no one else has ever done that before or since. 
John's Gospel also stresses the I am statements, seven I am statements that Jesus made. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the true vine, and you are the branches. Now, John tells us that God testified on Jesus' behalf. So if there's kind of a courtroom scene here and you're calling in witnesses, Jesus calls God himself, God the Father, to the witness stand in his ministry and in his life. God adds to Jesus' testimony the Father's testimony. He testified that Jesus was his son at Jesus' baptism, remember? Jesus came up out of the water and the Spirit like a dove came down and rested on him and a voice came from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God also tested verbally from heaven on Jesus' behalf toward the end of Jesus' ministry. It tells us about that in John 12. So he's with the crowds and he's drawing up to the conclusion of his ministry. Jesus says to his disciples, Now the hour has come for me to be glorified. And he raises his eyes to heaven and he says, Father, glorify your Son as he has glorified you. And according to John 12, 28, a voice came from heaven. It says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And Jesus said, This voice was not for my benefit, but for yours. God is making a point. God is testifying. In John chapter 8, Jesus repeatedly told the Jewish leaders that God was verifying, validating what he had said and done. In John 8, 18, Jesus said, I am the one who testifies for myself, but my other witness is the Father who sent me. John 8, 42, he said, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I came from God, and now I am here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. John 8, 54, Jesus said, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. And then before he went to see Lazarus, Lazarus, his dear friend that was sick and dying, and he knew he would, would die before he would arrive, before he went there, he told his disciples, Lazarus is dead. But that's not the end of the story. He said, no, this sickness is not going to end in death. It is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And this was the final great miracle he did prior to his own death, burial, and resurrection. Well, now someone might say the people of Jesus' day didn't really understand that he was claiming to be God. He wasn't claiming to be the Son of God. And you would be wrong to say that because the Bible clearly shows that people did get it. They did understand, especially the leaders understood that. They did know that he was claiming to be God's Son. And when you claim to be God's Son in the Jewish mindset, you are claiming to be God himself. And this is the very charge the Jews brought against him when they had their own trial of Jesus. And then they sent him to Pilate, the Roman governor. What they said to Pilate was this, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. You can't do that. That's blasphemous. They had heard Jesus' own words, his own testimony from the trial that they had in the Sanhedrin. In Luke twenty-two seventy. the Jewish elders asked him then, are you then the Son of God? And Jesus replied, you are right in saying that I am. So God the Father and Jesus the Son both testified that he is the Son of God. But Jesus' enemies disputed 
his claims. These claims of deity were offensive to them. They disputed that he could be God. And, and isn't that the way the world is today? Not much has changed. Awful lot of people disputing Jesus' divinity. While people today are yearning for spiritual things, they don't know whom or what to believe. Most people have heard more conjecture about Jesus than they have the facts. And you can hear that when they're, they're interviewed. Well, who do you think Jesus is? And they'll, they'll say crazy things like, well, he's just another form of Buddha. Or, or we saw one guy, he studied with Buddha. Wait a minute. You don't know your facts at all. How'd you get that? People have all kinds of weird ideas today. The cults and the false religions of today are having a field day with people because they're not informed. And they're not even looking at the evidence that has been presented. And so we have Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses and Christian science and Scientology and so on and so forth. As one of the writers for the story said, many people today are attracted to the comfort and well-defined morality offered by faithful Mormons. Lonely and uninformed people gladly answer the Jehovah's Witness claim uh, and call into their community. These cultic groups become quicksand to devotees, swallowing them up and quite literally dragging them down to the pit of hell. As believers, our hearts should break knowing that Jesus died for each deceived soul. We should be overcome with compassion for the lost and ever more grateful for the grace and truth we have found in the one true Savior, Jesus Christ. There's a guy named David Reagan, Dr. David Reagan, that I admire a lot for his study of, of prophecy and end times. He's done a great job with that. He's had a long ministry in that. He's also studied cults and world religions and a lot of these false ideas. And he draws this conclusion. All the cults deny Jesus' divinity. That's what they go after. They deny the divinity of Jesus. The Mormons claim he was the brother of Lucifer, one of thousands of minor gods created by the super god Adam, an exalted man. The Jehovah's Witnesses identify him as Michael the Archangel. The spiritist groups like the Church of Christ Scientists and the Unity Church usually present him in New Age esoteric terms, claiming he was a spirit without a body or that he was a medium of the sixth sphere of the astral projection. I don't even know what that means. Do you? How, how would you go with that? Just say whatever you want. It's okay. Argue, others will argue that he was just a man who is able to fully manifest the Christ spirit that is in all of us. There's an easy answer. We all have it in us, you know, and Jesus just figured out how to do it better than the rest of us. A lot of ideas, a lot of controversy, a lot of people disputing his claims to be the Son of God. And coming to all of us then, at one time or another, Jesus asked the same question he asked back then. Who do you say that I am? If you look at the evidence... If you explore everything you can explore, if you research it, if you seek God in this, seek wisdom in this, who do you say that I am? Jesus asked this crucial question of his disciples 2,000 years ago. Now it's our turn. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins, John 8, 24. So does it really matter what we believe about Jesus as long as we believe there was a Jesus? Yes, it does matter. Emphatically, yes, it matters. Is he the Son of God? Is he divine? Is he the one true God and Savior of mankind? Our conviction is that he is. 
the Son of God. And he is the one true Savior. A false Jesus will end up with a false gospel, and a false gospel leads to false salvation. You don't have any salvation at all. You're willing to say that any belief is okay, any path is okay to God, then you have not chosen that one true path, and you will die in your sins, Jesus says. So whether or not Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God has eternal implications. Dr. David Reagan again. The divinity of Jesus is the central truth of the Bible. It is so fundamental that Christianity stands or falls on it. If Jesus was not God in the flesh, then his sacrifice for our sins was meaningless, and we have no hope. Satan is determined to convince mankind that Jesus was someone other than God in the flesh. In Jesus' own time, Satan created doubt as to his true identity, and Satan is still working overtime today, still causing a lot of people confusion and division and a multitude of paths that seem to be equally valid, but they are not. John draws his own conclusions in his gospel in two places, John 3 and John 20. John 3, he says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him. You see, we're all under God's wrath. Without Jesus, we can't get away from God's wrath, but with Jesus, we can. In John 20, he makes another summary. He says this, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in his book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So who do you say Jesus is? C.S. Lewis wrote, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say, Lewis says. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. A choice must be made when you're looking at Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. So let me challenge you this weekend. Let me challenge you to go back to your own Caesarea Philippi. And as you're viewing this wall in front of you of all the different gods and goddesses of this world, the gods of self and materialism and hedonism and atheism and secularism and Mormonism and Buddhism and Hinduism, and you throw anything up there, put in those little niches all these different gods that man has today, you ask yourself this question, who is Jesus? And if you believe he is the Son of God, then all we can do is follow him. All we can do is obey him and live for him. Lord, I pray today for these people that are here. For everyone, including myself, who's had to answer this question, who is Jesus? I pray that uh, everyone will come to the conclusion that he is the Son of God and our Savior. That he is the one true God that could, could ever uh, help us to follow 
the path that you have laid out for us. Lord, as we come to a time of decision today, if there's anyone here that needs to follow Christ, may they make that decision. I'm going to give everyone the opportunity for that, Lord, and just speak to their hearts. There are those who are already followers of Christ, and they need to make a decision of another type. Help them to do that, to have your strength and your courage to do that. Be on our hearts, Lord, now, in Jesus' name. Now, 